Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Gradient Podcast. We interview various people who research, build, or use AI, including academics, engineers, artists, entrepreneurs, and more. I'm your host, Andre Karenkov. In this episode, I'm excited to be interviewing Connor Lehi. Connor is an AI researcher working on understanding large machine learning models and aligning them to human values and is a co-founder of Elefur AI. Elefur is a decentralized grassroots collective of volunteer researchers, engineers, and developers focused on AI alignment, scaling, and open source AI research with the most well-known project for that being the GPT-NEO family of models that are designed to match those by OpenAI, such as GPT-3. So yes, uh, pretty exciting, and um, you know, thank you, Connor, for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me on. All righty. So as usual, uh, before we get into all the exciting stuff you've been into, yeah, I'm curious to hear how you started working on AI at all. Like, what got you interested in it, and how you sort of made your way to actually messing around with it. Yeah, so I've been interested in AI for a good while now. Uh, I, I guess the 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 meme worthy, the funny story I like to tell people is that I was always interested in science, even as a little kid, you know. Uh, and over time, I just get more and more interested in more and more basic, more, more and more pure science. So, like as like a teenager, I was like really into biology, and then I figured out, wait, biology is just you know applied chemistry. So I studied chemistry, but then I noticed, oh, chemistry is just applied physics. So I started just studying physics, and then I said, oh, physics is just applied mathematics. So maybe I should study math. I didn't do that because that was hard. Um, but <laughs> but then. It Eventually, I kind of came to this conclusion that, wait, there's something even more fundamental than all of these things, because what does all math have, you know, what all of science have in common? Well, intelligence, you know, there's no science without the scientist. So, you know, if I, if I, so instead of me trying to solve, you know, or understand all of math or all of science or whatever, I could just, if I just understood intelligence, I could just build a scientist that understands all of science for me. And then I could solve mm-hmm. all of science. So you don't need to do the hard work. You can just let the AI figure it out. Yeah. Honestly, it's kind of lame because I really enjoy the hard work of science. <laughs> and like so often I have this, this thing where I'm like, wow, this is such a beautiful piece of math or science or something. I wish I had a hundred hours to study it. I don't. <laughs> um, I, unfortunately, it's completely useless to my day-to-day work, so I do not have time to study it. This applies like like I'm I'm a big fan of like like formal methods and like you know pure logic and stuff like that. I find these stuff like super interesting, category theory and stuff like that. But uh, just never yeah, I can find an excuse to actually you know spend as much time as would be necessary to understand it. So yeah, so it kind of started with that, and then um, so when I was like a you know in my late teens or something, like got into like, you know, like futurism. I was always a bit, you know, a bit of futurist, a bit of a transhumanist. And so I, you know, I started reading, you know, like the, you know, the classic pop sci stuff, you know, sci-fi books and Kurzweil, which is also basically sci-fi uh, <laughs> um, and stuff like that. And then I started like, kind of just like, I remember this is pretty funny, actually. It's like, I think it was like 19 or something. Um, I, I didn't really have that much exposure to like programming or like, um, computer science 
as much when I was when I was younger, like a little bit, you know, you know, did a few scripts for fun or modded video games or something, but nothing like serious. And eventually I just kind of like took out a pen and paper and just kind of like looked up like tutorials on YouTube and just start to like rederive neural networks, just try to like dash <laughs> it into my head. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was good fun. And ever since then, I've just been kind of mostly self-taught. I've just found that it's really, really interesting. Um, you know, just in all, and very, very useful, you know, it's the ultimate meta problem. It's the ultimate problem to solve other problems. So, yeah. Yeah. And then what, around what year did you do that scribbling from YouTube? If you recall? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that was like when I was like 19 or 20 is like when I did like a lot of just like sitting there, I was very sick at the time. So I, I was like very, very sick. So I was sped bound for like several years. So I, I couldn't really go to school or anything. So I just kind of like sat in my bed with my laptop and just kind of you mm. know, just came up with like ideas and just try to put things together in my head and read books. And then uh, I got better, luckily. Um, well, when I was like 23, 24, um, I think it was 23. And then I went to college for a few years in Munich, lovely school, lovely city. Um, but I did drop out last year because I was bored. <laughs> um and yeah so that that's kind of been my career so far i i also did a stint uh for uh, a year full-time and full use part-time at aleph alpha which is a ai startup here in germany lovely people uh i did uh, did some fun work there yeah um it was kind of like in parallel ish to luther um which also started you know back in 2020 um, at that time I you know, already had like a few years of AI experience and then Luther just of course continued. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I often, you know, ask when, like what year people get into it because personally I was an undergrad in 2014 and I remember like hearing about deep learning and being like, what is deep learning? Is it the same as neural nets? Yeah. And so uh, kind of catching that wave as it was starting, uh, is an interesting, I guess, piece of timing in terms of when to get into it. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, I think my first exposure to AI was definitely actually, it was actually still like pre deep learning or like close to it. Like I remember reading like some like Marvin Minsky and like some of that kind of stuff. I don't exactly remember when though. So that might be misremembering it. I do remember though pretty vividly that like my first like real exposure to like deep learning was the DC GAN paper, the original DC GAN paper. I saw it somewhere in Hacker News or something. And I was just like, I have to figure out how this works. Like, I just, I love this. I have to figure out how it works. And I'm going to obsess over this until I figure out how it works. And yeah, I remember that. It was like in Theano, I think. So this is pre-TensorFlow. My first, very first AI I ever built, I ever trained was a, was a GAN, a DC GAN, trained with Tiano. Yeah, I remember that. Ooh, that's that's not a very easy place to start. <laughs> uh, no, it sure wasn't, and I sure had no idea what the hell I was doing. But <laughs> did you have a GPU to play with as well? I did. I did. I had like a what did I have? I had like four gigabytes of memory, I think. And like, and for that Christmas, my 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 like only Christmas present I wanted was an eight gigabyte VRAM <laughs> GPU, so I could train a bigger GAN on it. That was the only Christmas present I asked for that year. Oh, uh, that's funny. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember when I was an undergrad seeing the first image to caption result from Stanford and also Google and being like, okay, this is freaking mind blowing. Like let's say I can describe what is in an image. This is not just object detection or whatever. This is, yeah, 
pretty intense. And then since then, obviously, now that's a fraction of what we can do. Yeah, so I guess you, yeah, you got into it and then you gathered a lot of experience. And one thing I found interesting, you know, look, doing a little digging is uh, you seem to have a slightly like hacker mindset from what I can tell where, you know, you, you read these papers and then you just build it. So um, there was a bit of an interesting thing before Elifer the year before where you had this blog post replicating GPT-2. Uh, and this was, there was at the time, this whole thing of OpenAI announced it and they said they would not release it for safety reasons. And then this was a whole discussion of should they or should they not. And you just replicated it and people were like, well, <laughs> I guess we can release it now. So yeah, can you go into what that was? Yeah, so that's not exactly what happened. So uh, that that was, uh, yeah, so that was quite the thing. And I can tell a lot of funny stories from that time. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, let me think about how to best tell the story. So basically what happened was, uh, so um, I was kind of getting bored of deep learning at that time already. Like, so I got really into it, like DC GAN and like some, and then I started doing, you know, I made like vision networks and did like, you know, reinforcement learning RNNs and it all of it didn't work. And it was just, I was starting to get kind of bored again. I was like, okay, deep learning is kind of like, it's kind of funny now to look back. Like, um, I think it's somewhere on YouTube, probably. There is like a talk of mine from like 2017 at a local meetup where I say deep learning is dead. And that has cursed me. I've, I've been cursed from that day forward. The fact that I, I went on the record to say that is just has changed the history and made deep learning invulnerable. So I'm sorry about that. It's all my fault. It's your fault. Uh, yeah, it's all my fault. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so like I, I was just like, uh, like at that time I was like pretty into like methods that like Jeff Hawkins was working on in Nementa and like brain inspired algorithms, uh, predictive coding, Hall field networks. Like I was really into that kind of stuff. I was like, so I, so I kind of like pivoted away a little bit away from deep learning towards like neuroscience. I, inter I interned at like a neuroscience lab and stuff because that was interesting until I realized neuroscience is also not the way to go. And then I pivoted back to deep learning pretty hard. Um, and like, so GPT-2, uh, when it first came out, uh, it was a very funny timing. Um, so what happened? So I, so this was like my first or second year in college. I think it was my first year actually. And you know, you know, first year of college, I was excited. This first year, I was feeling not sick anymore. So I was, mm. so I, I wasn't, I wasn't horribly, terribly, painfully ill twenty four seven. Um, so I was, of course, you know, at the top of the world, I was feeling absolutely amazing. I was making lots of friends and dating girls and doing, you know, all these exciting having things, yeah, yeah. yeah, having fun, you know, having a good time. And at my new college, you know, I made a bunch of great friends, lovely, lovely, wonderful people. And, uh, a lot of my good friends were studying game design and game engineering at the university. Cause like the university had one of the only, uh, game engineering courses in, um, uh, Germany. And so we had a lot of people who, you know, did like graphics programming and stuff. And so there was a, a, a yearly game jam and which is like a three day hackathon where you make a video game. And so we did that and it was, a uh, uh, so this actually, yeah. So this is probably my second semester. Cause I remember the first game game jam, which was a shit show. <laughs> and I think it was the second one where I was kind of like into AI and stuff. And we were like, Hey, 
let's just throw together like as many AI things as possible and just like make it into a game. Like doesn't no matter if it makes sense or not, just makes like something really silly. And so I remember that because one of the things because we had like we use like we try to use like Dan's like generate textures, we tried to generate speech, which didn't really work that well. We tried like a bunch of things, none of it really worked. Um, and one of the things we did is we tried to use like RNNs to like generate text for like the NPCs to speak, and that was like really stupid and really terrible, but, you know, that's kind of nostalgic, you know, when I see the, the footage of our terrible, you know, uh, game from back then. Um, and, but yeah, like text generation is really something that didn't really work at all. And then like very shortly afterwards, so, like this was still fresh in my mind where I was like filling with GPT-2 came out and GPT-2, I think people now look back at it and it's nothing impressive, but at the time, I think people just forget how impressive that was. So, G so there was a series of models of GPT of various sizes and the smallest model, the 100 million parameter model was released. And uh, when, when, when me and my friends got that to work, it was just, it blew our minds. It was just the most amazing thing we've ever seen in our life. And nowadays, you know, you look at the 100 million parameter model and it's like, it's like pathetic compared <laughs> to what we can do just, you know, two, two or three years later. Yeah. But at the time it was just unbelievable it's like you could just like put in text and sometimes one coherent sentence came out of it that was incredible i've never seen something mm. like it so it was very remember, funny so, yeah, yeah this was like early 2019 that or 2019 ish yeah. and they had this blog post and i remember very clearly they had this example of the like scientist and unicorn story yeah yeah and it's like wow this is coherent you know yeah it's, but it's yeah. kind of ridiculous but it, i i can read this and there's no yeah, it's actually keeping yeah. a small thread for like a few paragraphs, which was mind blowing. Yeah. No, I, I distinctly remember that. I, I when I saw that, I was just like, "This is one of the most important things that's going to happen in my lifetime." Like, this is incredible. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people thought I was maybe overreacting or something, but I was like, "Wow, this is just incredible." Um, and also, just a ton of fun. So there was another like hackathon at our university. I remember this distinctly, and like me and my friends kind of just we we found this one room of the side of the college, which like. We weren't supposed to be, but it had like a sleep, like a couch in it. And we just kind of like just lived there for three days. <laughs> just like the four of us on, you know, like, you know, 20, 10 square feet. It was great. Mm. <laughs> you know, stole, stole pizza and just kind of lived there like, 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 you know. That's a real yeah. hackathon experience. That real hackathon experience, man. It was oh, great. Yeah. It was good fun. And so, yeah. And so we, we, so we started like playing with the GPT. I, sh I showed them like, Hey guys, check this shit out. And then we just kind of played with that for hours. We just tried to like the smallest model. So this thing is like completely incoherent. This thing, you know, it barely stay on top of it for like two sentences. And we just had, and we, we created like, we basically created like a whole cult around GPT two Cause we, we got like just these, we found that like quoting with like bio quotes. It's just the funniest thing you can do. It'll just go mm -hmm. off these complete tangents about the end of the world and stuff. And it was just great. So like, I remember this one time we, we, so we were like game developers, right? So we like quoted it something like, I don't forget. I remember exactly what we quoted with, but we quoted it with something like, um, we quoted something like, um, you know, uh, you know, what should we do? And then, the model responded, it is the will of Utopius that game developers go into the world and do something, something. They're like, mm -hmm. who's Utopius? What the fuck? Well, I guess this is our guy now. <laughs> um, so it's just hilarious. Anyways, sorry, I got super off topic. I just love telling that story. No, it was um, all fun. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it showcases, you know, how novel and how exciting GPT-2 was because, you know. Yeah. I think it was the sort of thing where, you know, object recognition, whatever, you know what the model is going to do. GPT-2, you could play with and you could yeah. discover a lot of stuff it would do. And yeah, there was it, a lot of that. yeah. 
exactly. It's like it, it really had this. It, it just it felt so different from any other like AI system interacted with, you know, like even GANs at the time are nothing like the generative art we have nowadays. We can mm-hmm. give it a prompt and generate like a cool image or something. GANs weren't like that at all. They were generally like, you know, a, a huge square of just like slightly perturbed versions of a bedroom or something. Like there's no like interactivity. There was no like, you know, like there's no interaction with the models at all. And that was like, also, you know, you create like an object detector or something. It's like it's not it's not to play with. There's there's it's not there's no back and forth with the human. GPT was different. Like it was a whole new way of interacting with AI. Like you could talk to the thing in a weird way. Of course, you know, it was like completely incoherent and it was stupid and whatever. And of course, most of the interpretation, most of the fun was, you know, for my friend, you know, putting on his cult leader voice and, you know, booming voice and just reading out the proclamations of GPT two or whatever. You know, that was just, you know, really good fun. Of course it wasn't useful in that regard, but it was really fun and it was it is very different. So around that time, um when when I you know there was the, of course the ludicrous that there was a GPT-2 model that was one billion parameters. That was insane. Everyone was outraged. Like a billion parameters. Truly madness. Such a thing I, I mean I don't remember the last time I used a model that had less than a billion parameters now. <laughs> like back then, it was crazy. <laughs> back then, it was like 10 million, 100 million. That was pretty oh, big. Dude, dude that was That's like, I remember, I remember in the Burt paper, they basically apologized for the model being 300 million parameters large. There's like some, like, I remember, I forget exactly what they say, but some of the Burt paper, they're like, like, yeah, we know this will make like deployment really hard and it's not, mm-hmm. but we think it is worth it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, you know, 300 million is like nothing nowadays. So it just, mm-hmm. people really, I feel like often, even I, like constantly forget just how fast the field moves. Like yeah. the field today feels already completely different than it did a year ago. And same thing to like a year previous to that. And that wasn't always the case. Like, you know, back in like 2017 or something that like field moved extremely fast, but not this fast. It is kind of wild. So anyway, so there was, of course, the mythical billion parameter model and hacker sees cool toy he can't have. Hacker has to have the cool toy. And, and that's something I talk a little bit about in that um, essay I wrote. Uh, but it's so like exactly the same time was also the first time I was started to be like really exposed to these ideas around AI safety and AI alignment. So I read like The Sequences by Eliezer Yudkowsky, which is like my favorite writing personally. I know they're kind of like not everyone likes them. A lot of people think they're cringe or like not as good. I think they're really, really good. I love them. Um, so, and so I started getting to expose these ideas that like, oh, you know, existential risk, maybe AI caching could be really dangerous. You know, it's, you know, maybe it's not going to be like Kurzweil says where you just, you know, just merge with the model of Mao. I don't know, you know, what Kurzweil believes, but that's what I remember reading. Yeah, maybe um, all of humanity will be destroyed, you know. Yeah, maybe that's like, something we should consider as an outcome. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically the, the, the most radical idea about AI alignment is just maybe this won't go okay by default, which yes. isn't that radical of an idea, really. Right, it's, right. Um, it's very, we might maybe talk about this later, but it is very, it continues to shock and surprise me how often I talk to like people like, you know, and these are not just like, you know, some randoms off the street. These are like, you know, professors of AI at reputable institutions. And I just raise the possibility, hey, maybe by, you know, unless we're really careful, these things actually will do something bad and how much resistance there sometimes is to these ideas. Um, 
yeah, I think we talk it's, about it. it's interesting. Yeah, that's, I guess we could talk a bit more later, but it's been changing in the sense of there's a lot of thinking about passive models, you know, data set shift bias, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. And GPT-3, like outputting biased things, but there's not a very agent-centric perspective yet. Yeah. 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 It's it's still it's it's a lot better. It's it's a, the the field has shifted a lot than it has when I like you know first started you know like several years ago. It was like back then it was like I remember Paul Cristiano who's a um, very prolific uh, safety researcher um, talking about this in his blog that he basically had to hide from his PhD advisor that he did safety work on the side because it was like taboo to even like <laughs> consider these thoughts. Yeah, uh, that's luckily not the case anymore. Usually, right. it's yeah. still hard to get like full-on funding necessarily to do, you know, full-time alignment work it is getting better though. It's like a lot better, you know, like open philanthropy and other organizations starting to like really sponsor this kind of stuff and more professors like Stuart Russell starting to take these kinds of ideas seriously. But yeah, so this was kind of one of my first r real exposures to this ideas came around like these times, you know, reading these, all these thoughts and absorbing them. Um, and then suddenly I found myself kind of, kind of thrust and kind of like, I'm not going to say like that important of a, decision like you know looking back at it whether i did one the one thing or the other thing probably would have made a big difference to how things would have gone i'm not trying to you know over inflate the importance of what happened but at there. the time yeah yeah opening i made this decision not to release a big one because they said you know there might be fake news there might be all these applications by bad actors and so that was at the time a sort of real consideration yeah so some 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 very interesting set of things happened there, and this is often, unfortunately, uh, a bit misreported because it's kind of a sensitive uh, order of operations that happened back then. So mm -hmm. to, to to give you the the thing of like actually happened, and like I, I did write it down very precisely how things happened, but it's easy to like simplify things uh, about what happened and what order they happened. Yeah, yeah. but um, basically, what happened is is that. Um, I mean, so first of all, there's the whole funny story of how I got enough compute to make this happen. That was that was its own whole funny story, because um, uh, you know, doing parameter model, you know, trained on 256 TPUs for a week. You know, that's crazy, just insane amount. You know, that's you know, you know, nowadays it's like you know, <laughs> you know, many corporations do stuff. I mean, but yeah, but as an individual, 200 as an individual, yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah. like even back then, you know, for even large organizations, didn't really do the kind of stuff like that. That's Very true. different now. But yeah. yeah, and so it was very funny for, so yeah, there's there this whole funny story of how I got access to that, which was basically just kind of like, it all started when I, I don't even remember what ha how this happened, but like I signed up for like the TensorFlow Research Cloud program, which is this program for academic access, Google, where they give you like access to TPUs to do some research and stuff. And I had really forgotten about this, but eventually I got like an email like, hey, yeah, we'd love to give you some TPUs. And they gave you access to like a pretty good number of TPUs. And they, and I got that email like right around the time when, after me and my friends you know, had our GPT cold or whatever. And I just looked at it and I'm like, I have to do this. Like mm. uh, fate is tempting me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the universe is, is, is tempting me. I have to I, do this. I now can do this and therefore I can't resist doing it. We do what, what, what how does the saying go? We do what we must because we can. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I do, to be clear, I do not endorse that thinking. Um, but at the time I was also like, so I also, very important, I didn't expect to get anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, just some kid, you know, I had not a single course in machine learning or anything. I just taught this to myself for shits and giggles in my free time and whatever. Like, I didn't expect any of this to go anywhere. This was my first like, 
like you know, even like the DC Gen stuff and like the RNA, like that was all just like toy stuff. Like none of that was mm. really, like really impressive or anything. Like this was this was difficult. This was like my first like actual like, hey, this is actually kind of hard. This is like actually kind of tricky, and it's very. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna lock myself in, uni- in into like a study hall in university for two weeks and just do this. And whatever happens, happens. I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. Um, and I did like shockingly. <laughs> um, yeah, I just kind of like locked myself in a room for two weeks and just sat down just every day, you know, got up in the morning, uh, got into the same room. I was like the first person in the university, went to the whiteboard, write down what I'm going to do today. And then I just did that for two weeks. I, I have no idea how I did that given my ADHD, <laughs> but uh, somehow I managed to do that. You had your own um, one person hackathon. For yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Two, yeah, two week yeah. one person hackathon. It, it was a fun schedule, honestly. I, I, I miss those times where you know I could just do shit like that. I could just like you know drop off the face of the planet for two weeks and just you know live off of you know fucking whatever the local canteen served at, at yeah, 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 my, yeah, yeah, bananas for, yeah. for t- and energy drinks for two weeks. Like those, those are good times. I miss those times. <laughs> I can't really do that anymore. Um, and yeah, so I just kind of packed this together and I had, I had all the code, it was all ready to run. And I was, and then I was like, holy shit, okay, let's, let's go, let's go, let's do this. So, and then I um, got the access from the TPU cloud and it didn't work. Just did not work. I misunderstood something about the hardware they were giving me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not giving me access to one large TPU pod, but to many individual pods. Mm-hmm. and the networking between those there's like no way to make this work in practice so i trained this kind of model so i was like fuck <laughs> well damn all right i mean it was a fun project i learned a lot you know cut my losses you know it was fun i had a good time big deal so then a while later tpu cloud emailed me like hey you know how's your experience been with tpus any bugs to report or whatever so i wrote them like a really nice long bug report of like all the problems i ran into and they also asked, like, hey, what were you doing? You know, did you succeed or whatever? So I try, you know, describe what I was doing. And that unfortunately didn't work because I would need access to either one of the large TPU pods to make this happen. And I viscerally remember this was very funny. I was sitting in class, like front row, uh, like, yeah, like front right of the classroom. So I viscerally remember this, like one moment. Um, my phone, like, vibrates. Take out my phone, open my email and it's an email from the dental research people and like, Oh yeah, we can get you one of those. And I like physically jumped. I, I remember I physically jumped. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, again, this story is completely irrelevant to the first thing I first thought it was funny. Um, yeah. Anyway. I mean, it is, it is quite an interesting experience. It, it is just like, it's like, it's like the universe was like making me do this. It was yeah. like I had like no input in this. This is like it's like it's like it's like a like a Greek drama. It's like Zeus has decided that the the character will do this you and he's gonna make it. Happen. And the gods yeah. gave me computers. Yeah, the gods made it happen. So I, yeah. I didn't have any input in this. I was just you know I was just along for the ride at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so I got it working. Um, very important. I do say this, um, in my analysis, the model, my model did not turn out to be as good as OpenAI's model. It was not great. It, it was like not zero good, but it wasn't mm-hmm. as good as GPT-2. Mm-hmm. It was not. I do know now what the, what I did wrong. It's actually a very small difference, uh, as, as, which, I, you know, because now at Luther, obviously we've created many models like these very easily. Uh, I just basically set dropout wrong. 
that's literally all it was. Uh, if I just had a set dropout differently, it would have been fine. Um, but yeah, anyways, so I trained this model, um, you know, it took like a week or two or whatever. And then like halfway through week one, I kind of noticed, oh, fuck, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> you know, like, like, holy shit, like, wait, what do I do? What do I do with this now? So, um, so I kind of, you know, just try to think, you know, I, I basically skipped class for like a few weeks there because it was just like, just like, okay, what, what the hell do I do? And then I sat down and kind of just started typing and just kind of like thinking like, okay, what am I trying to do? Why am I trying to do this? I try to, I, I, so word for the readers, uh, in case you're, you're really interested in, in looking up these, um, uh, essays that have written around those time, uh, I must warn you that I think, uh, those essays may, would, be described what, as what the cool kids nowadays call schizo rants. Um, they aren't my finest work of writing, uh, mm-hmm. and they're a bit scatterbrained. I have a lot of things to say, not much experience writing essays like this, especially not for a large audience. And I, I had a bit of a, you know, I have a bit of a rambling style of, of talking sometimes, in case you couldn't tell. Um, so uh, I stand by basically everything I say in those essays. I still think everything is in them. I, I stand by and I think there's some good ideas in there, uh, but they are uh, too long, didn't read. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so I put together this, this, this huge essay, this, um, which later people <laughs> sometimes are jokingly described to as a manifesto. Um, I kind of explained uh, my thinking of like why I actually thought releasing this model was a good idea. Uh, you can read it if you want it. Uh, I don't blame you if you don't. Basically, I disagreed with OpenAI's assessment that this would be like useful for fake news or whatever, and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had a bunch of you know, um, I, had, I had a bunch of reasons why I thought this was a good idea, whatever. Um, so yes, so I published this thing, uh, and then the thing which you always kind of like kind of in the back of your mind, hope happens, but never actually expect to happen happens. And it went like micro viral. Like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say viral. It's like a small Within the AI community. Within the AI community. You know, there's yeah. suddenly like, you know, like professors from, you know, like university under heard of or like, you know, yeah. like commenting and people in your policy and opening AI emails me and whatever. And I would like to make it very clear, I did not handle the situation perfectly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I was a kid. I, I had never been the limelight before. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, so I, I'm not endorsing that I handled everything correctly. I think I handled things fine enough, you know, given my circumstances. But, you know, I could have just emailed OpenAI and said, hey, uh, by the way, guys, you know, mm-hmm. which I didn't. And that was kind of a... Cause, in like, hindsight. In, my, in hindsight. Yeah. In hindsight, you know, just talk to people. Like if I have one advice to, you know, you tackers out there, just talk to people. You'd be surprised how just actually people are nice and they will talk to you. And it's, not- yeah, <laughs> I think it's, yeah. If you are a little bit on the periphery um, of the community, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Once you in academia, you have to learn of like, oh, this person wrote this paper. I'll just email them yeah. to chat about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like for me, because someone who's just completely isolated from the entire community, I like no contact to anyone. It was just like this very intimidating prospect or it felt like weird in a way. So like the funny thing is, is that what happened is, is that my main connection to large software companies was through histories of software hackers and how they were abused and mistreated by large companies. And they were like sued because they found software vulnerabilities and stuff like this. So I was like generally a little bit afraid, like, oh, it's opening, I can sue me. Are they gonna like mm. be angry with me? Are they gonna like, mm. so I, I have to make this like a, a public thing so that, you know, I, so that they can like, you know, do it, which is, I wanna 
again, just reiterate, is completely stupid. <laughs> that was a very stupid thing to believe. Um, I just didn't know how things worked. You know, mm-hmm. I just had, you know, I was just some kid from Germany. I didn't really know how the real world works. I didn't, had no industry contact and never worked in the industry. I didn't know any professors or any, anyone like that. So I just had no contact. I had no one to talk to. I had no input of how the norms of the community work or how academia really works. So, um, so yeah, I didn't handle it perfectly. Um, in retrospect, it's pretty funny, but basically, so yeah, so OpenAI, uh, the people there were very nice. They're like, Hey, you know, it's really cool what you did. Why don't we talk about that? You know, uh, just want to, I just want, they were, ve- I, I want to, I want to say very clearly OpenAI, the people there, uh, Jack, Jack Clark, Jeff Wu, I think Alec Radford was there once as well. Perfectly nice. But they were like, Hey, we don't want to like push you in anything here. We just want to like give you information, you know, about our perspective, about other things, just so you can, mm-hmm. you know, make it. So they were really, really great about this. And I'm very great, grateful to them to this day. So really, no, I can only say nothing about and nothing but positive. Um, and we had, we had like two long chats about this and I found their arguments really unconvincing. <laughs> so this is something that people often report wrong. Uh, OpenAI did not at all convince me. I found their arguments actually very not convincing. They actually convinced me even more that I was in the right. Um, I found their arguments just not convincing. Sorry, Jack. <laughs> Which is um, interesting because in the end, you know, yes. they, it, it turned out that their uh, yeah. was not really, you know, why yeah. Yeah. So what happened was is that someone else uh, from Miri actually, which is one of the OG safety orgs, um, Buckshell Garris, mm-hmm. um, was like, hey, you know, want to talk about this? And we had a nice chat. And I was like all prepared in my head. I was like, oh, I'm such a big brain. I have all my arguments prepared. Like, oh, man, this guy can't defeat my, my ironclad logic and, you know, big brain stuff. And then he basically just said like, uh, uh, okay, yeah, but like, you know, even if you're right and it isn't dangerous, think about the precedent you're setting. And I was like, oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like this instant moment of just like, oh fuck, I'm an idiot. Um, And so the argument ultimately not to release, not because I thought it was dangerous, especially because my mind really wasn't that great. Um, It was more just like, there's a, at some point, someone will build a model that is actually kind of dangerous and Mm -hmm. that shouldn't be released. And is it really a good you know, precedent to be setting here to say, oh, if your company is like concerned about safety, some guy is going to humiliate you online about it. Like, that's not that's not what I stand for. That's not something I think is a good thing. I don't think that should happen. And so even if it ultimately obviously did not matter, none of this mattered, you know, whether I released the model or, you know, GPT got released anyways, none of this really mattered in the long term. It was the small act of solidarity I could give to say, even if I disagree with OpenAI's analysis, and I think it was actually fine, it was reasonable to be concerned. That was a reasonable thing for them to believe or yeah. to at least consider and take a little time to think about. So in solidarity, I decided not to release my model by basically saying, hey, you know what? Um, even if I disagree, that's not you know reason enough for me to be a jerk about it mm-hmm. and just unilaterally basically release. So there's this thing called the unilateral curse I think that Bostrom named it, which is basically this thing is that if you have something where one single person could spoil it, for example, like a surprise party or something, mm-hmm. then you will on average find that things get spoiled more often than they should be because it only takes one overenthusiastic person to spoil it. And so if you have like a normal distribution of how enthusiastic people are, you're always going to have some one asshole on the far right who spoils it for everybody. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to be that asshole. 
Um, so yeah, that's that's the story. And this is interesting, yeah, because you know ultimately GPT two being released or not didn't really matter that much. But the precedent that was set also by OpenAI was at the time it was very unusual and I think unprecedented to just say, okay, we will not release this model because we have safety concerns. We will roll it out in a careful manner where, you know, we limit access and we don't release all of it to everybody. And in that sense, I think it's, it was an early example uh, for people to be just, you know, to realize that this is an option in general. And yeah, I think now it, it, it is not as seen as, you know, super strange, but at the time this was not something that was done previously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that was quite the experience, sounds like, you know. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah, sure was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so you had this amazing journey that you could <laughs> never been have been uh, predicting. And so this was, you know, mid-2019, right-ish. Yeah. And so after things settled down, I guess, did you just keep hacking on AI stuff or, or where did you allocate your time? Um, so I have to think back, it's, man, this feels like a lifetime ago. Like it's incredible. Like it's feel, this feels like it's happened 20 years ago. Like I've, it's so far away in my mind, uh, but it's objectively really not that long ago. Um, so yeah, after that, um, I kind of dropped off the AI scene for like a year or so. I just kind of kept my head low. I wrote a bit, a few essays, um, which were even more schizo than the first, but I think they were fun and they were good. I, I, I thought, I thought it's, fun. it's fun to write essays sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Just for yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, I jest here, but I feel like more people should write crazy long essays that have like two idi weird idiosyncratic tangents and stuff. I love stuff like that. And I think more people, mm -hmm. should, I think I should do more of that. I'm sad that I don't do more of that because I think it's, it's, it's a fun thing. It's a, it's a good way to, you know, train your thinking and it often produces entertaining or and sometimes even insightful output so it's something I, if you ever thought about writing essays dear listener you should write more essays i'm a big fan of it hmm. um i agree yeah just just start throwing stuff and then if it's not good just have fun of it yeah exactly it's uh i i i miss those times where i was like more innocent and i didn't have and i just kind of like just like like i had like no external criticism or input or anything i just like like I wrote that essay, like I had some input from like one of my best friends or like two of my best friends. And I, I thank them greatly for their copy editing because otherwise it would have been much worse. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it was like stylistically and, you know, the input and whatever. It's just like, you know, like, you know, just like outsider art, just kind of like to make it up shit as I go along. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah it sound, it, those essays seem way more deliberate than they were in their construction they, all, they were mostly written in like one or two you know energy drink field bursts in, over the course of like 48 hours and then copy edited um which you know that is how the best things are written obviously <laughs> definitely um, yeah, that's yeah. how all the greats all the philosophers just yeah. all nighters just, just, all the time yeah exactly yeah uh, I, I miss being able to just function for like three days straight on just energy drinks and like pretzels or something during college. Good times. <laughs> Good times. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so over the last next year, I kind of put my head down, focused more on university. Um, so I was like pretty depressed. Like I just, you know, I just, uh, it was all like, it was all just a bit much. I was kind of sick of AI, um, for like a year or so. And then the whole thing happened, <laughs> you know, the whole, um, worldwide apocalypse, you know, first f- horse rider appeared and, uh, that made me even more horribly depressed. And I got like, fuck all done. Um, until Luther, I came around. So like in between there, there's like a few interesting things that happened. You know, uh, I got to fly out and meet some of the TFRC people who are lovely people, uh, a few things like that. As I said, I wrote a few essays, but yeah, that was a, that was a, a pretty, uh, pretty, uh, unproductive year and a half or so until Luther, I came around in 2020. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess in 2020, I forget exactly when, maybe like around March, maybe April, opening I announced GPT-3 and being like, oh, you thought a billion and a half was a lot. Well, here's 175 billion and you thought GPT-2 was mind blowing. Well, check out GPT-3. And yeah, uh, you have this nice blog post as a retrospective and from the, it seems like you were just chatting with people on Discord and was like, what if we just try? And then someone was like, yeah, let's do it. Yep. Yeah, that is basically the story of how Luthery came to be. Um, yeah, you know, I, as I said, I was in a, in a pretty bad spot right at that time, you know, you know, as a lot of us were at that time, you know, just isolated, you know, no friends mm-hmm. and whatever. And yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, it wasn't the best mental state at something. And so I kind of like, started just hanging around some discord groups at a you know, very dark mental state. If you're hanging around discord, obviously, <laughs> um, uh, I, I just, I just, um, and yeah. And then with the GPT three stuff, which is already very cool, but I was still feeling like a little bit burnt out, but it was cool. Like, you know, when I started like, yeah. playing with it a little bit and I saw it like something, it, there was this weird, I don't know if you remember this. I, I don't know if I'm misremembering this, but like for some reason, I remember it this way that like no one really cared about GPT-3 when it was first announced, but like three months later, suddenly it exploded on Twitter. Like, I don't know if I'm just misremembering this. But I, I believe people were like, initially it was just a blog post and it was like, oh, this is bigger GPT-2. And then a paper came out a few months later. And I think that's what sort of led to it because the paper showed in more detail of this, like you could prompt it to do things and it was kind of mind-blowing because this prompting yeah. thing was totally new at the time. Well, yeah, except for someone who created a cult with GPT-2, 100 million. I was very well familiar with the concept. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you could do it. <laughs> but, but yes, like, it's not the same. No, yeah, GPT-3 yeah. really changed the game. It yeah. Is, yeah. As someone who used GPT-2 quite a lot, it's it's just such a different beast. GPT-3 is such a, such a different thing, even so it's the same thing, which is the crazy thing. It's the same thing, just bigger, but it's so different. And yeah, so I remember around like, yeah, probably May or something, uh, GP3, like seeing on, on Twitter, just people kind of freaking out or just showing just like these incredible things GP3 could do, like these stories you could write, the chat you could do, write code. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, also they have the API and they started giving access. Yeah. And that's when yeah, people yeah. like, oh, you can make a, like a web app. Yeah, you yeah, can yeah. Just tell it, you know, make a little whatever. And that was when it went super viral. Yeah, exactly. So that's when I started taking it really seriously and uh, I thought about it more. And, I, and I, again, I had this, I basically remembered my experience with GPT-2. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, these people have the experience I had with GPT-2. Mm-hmm. And so 
I was already primed for this. I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen this, but like just bigger. But for a lot of people, this was the first time they were like seeing what I saw when I saw GPT-2, 100 million yeah. parameters. And yeah, so then, yeah, it was on the TPU podcast uh, Discord server, which is like, oh, so, you know, uh, which funnily enough, I am I am indirectly inspired as well. So like the, the server admin, Sean, um, told me that like one of the reasons he decided to apply to TFRC and create the server was because he read my essays about GPT-2 replication back in the day. So wow. I have like indirectly, you know, <laughs> yeah. with, with, you know all it's credit to fate. Sean. Yeah, wow. yeah, but yeah, you see, fate, fate is tempting yes. me. It's like, <laughs> you know, the Lords of the Matrix control my fate. I have no control over any of this. <laughs> yeah, the, the Lords of open source software were like someone needs to uh start this project and it shall be you yeah that's that's like you know just saying sometimes it just sure does feel that way you know mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yeah so yeah so just kind of like we had like yeah i just posted like a paper it wasn't even the gp3 paper it's actually a different paper from google the gpi paper i think which was like a, a paper about training large models on tpus and i was like hey guys you know wouldn't it be fun and then it was actually Leo, Leo Gao, um, who responded first and was like this, but unironically kind of. And then, yeah, it just kind of took on a life of its own. So we quickly outgrew the original server and kind of moved to a different server so we can like organize our work. And you know how, like, you know, uh, you know, if anyone is privileged enough to be part of one of those like vibrant early open source communities, it's always just, it's such a great experience. You're, you're mm-hmm. up all night, hacking away, you know, everyone's excited. There's this energy in the air. It's, it's, it's really it's really something magical and it's really and something. Yeah. Yeah. Did this just grow out, out of that TPU podcast server? Just like, yeah. You two were like, let's do it. And then you were like, Oh yeah, let's yeah. do it. Yeah. So it was, it was me, Leo and Sid, Sid Black, who, uh, finally enough is my roommate now. So, you know, mm. as life goes, um, yeah, uh, we, yeah. So it was like mostly the three of us that kind of got together for, as the very first people, they were like, okay, let's do this and mm. let's see how far we can get. Um, and yeah, and just kind of grew from there. So like very quickly, you know, we got a lot of other people, uh, really great people interested, hanging around, working on GPT Neo or other projects where the early days were just complete chaos, obviously, <laughs> just obviously complete chaos. Um, yeah, but yeah, we, we got, yeah, it really was a magical experience. It's like, it's like one of those experiences you can't replicate. It's just, you know, you, you can't, you can't force magic to happen. Magic just sometimes happens. And mm-hmm. that was very much one of these experiences. Um, I remember, uh, talking to uh, a friend of mine who, uh, later when, when he said like, like, I asked him like, Hey, well, why do you reach out to me? And he was like, well, you know, I saw Luther and I was like, well, that's a golden age. I've seen that before. I know what that is. Mm-hmm. And this is like a thing that just happens in like open source communities and also other places. Sometimes you have like a golden age where just like the right people, right time, you know, pandemic people have lots of time and just all the right ingredients has happened to make so the right time. And yeah, Luther and I was born. And I remember like the first, you know, months very fondly as a complete chaos. But, you know, I was like, a, like I was on, I was on Luther I 24 seven. That was my life. You know, I got up in the morning, went on to Luther, read up all the chat, you know, talked to people, started mm-hmm. hacking, you know, just that, that was my life for like months. Uh, and that, that brought me out of my, you know, quarantine depression. Like that really saved my life there. I was just, you know, that gave me, gave, gave me purpose and stuff. It was great. Um, also very stressful. A lot of work, but it was great. And yeah, so that's when we started, you know, we created like the pile, we, which was our data set that we compiled for training these models, where the first draft of the GPT-Neo code 
was written, which was loosely uh, inherited from my GPT-2 code back in the day. I think some lines of code I wrote are still in there. Mm. Um, and yeah, so that, that, that's just, and we just kind of hacked away at that until like the end of the year. So new year, 2021, we released the pile which was our, you know, large collection of yeah, data. Literally the new year on the 1st of 2021, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and that was the day. We have, and yeah, it's been it's been going well since then. First Jupiter-Neo models were released end of March, I think. I think actually on my birthday, which is the 25th, I think was when we released them. Uh, mm-hmm. It was coincidence. I don't think that was planned. Um, I might also be misremembering. Um, yeah, at this, and then... Yeah, I don't know how far I should go with the history there. If you want to, like, yeah, you know, I, I think some details are very interesting. Of like, you know, you save the first few months of chaos, but like replicating GPT three is a big engineering effort. Absolutely, and like compiling the pile, the pile being this gigantic data set, the eight hundred and twenty five gigabytes, just to train something like GPT three. So did you have like a roadmap with, you know, a plan or did that just like emerge? Yeah, I would put it more on the emerge side than planned. Of course, we planned, quote unquote. I think like it like projects like this are a perfect encapsulation of the concept of uh, I find planning to be invaluable, but plans to be useless. Mm hmm. So, like, of course, it was, like, important for us to discuss what we're going to do and organize people on something. But, of course, you know, there's, like, no... When you start doing it, it just happens. Yeah. Yeah, like, we... we, I mean, to this day, you know, obviously, you know, we're all ADHD hackers or something. You know, project management is our number one bottleneck in Uber 3AI, you know, even to this day. It always has been, always will be. So, like... For the pile, like the, like it all go like the credit to the pile to like you know not exclusively of course but to like a huge degree goes to Leo as he really was the project manager. He wrangled the people. He found you know he 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 busted his ass to get all this stuff working and all the horror that he had to go through and it did kind of burn him out a little bit, mm-hmm. um, understandably so. And also with Neo, you know, uh, Sid was absolutely just incredibly instrumental for all of that. Like I think um, both of them were way more important to the pile or Neo than I was. Uh, of course, I was mm. along, and I, I know I work very hard, and I, you know, help them with all these projects, or whatever. But the owners, if you want to say the ones, I, I would give it more to Leo and to Sid than to me. Um, that's why it's it, it's just um, for magic to happen, for golden ages to happen, it's just the right people at the right time. Like we were all just dudes, like you know, we were just like you know, just like just people like, uh, like for example, Sid has a, you know, he, he was like a photographer and he just decided AI is cool and he would learn that. And now he's like the best engineer I know. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he was like, you like into GANs, you know, that was his thing. He was just really into GANs cause he thought that was like cooler than photography. And now he's just the best engineer, uh, and just incredible. And, you know, Leo, I think he did study for a while, but I think he didn't graduate, if I remember correctly, and stuff. We have like a lot of people with Blue 3i that like don't mm-hmm. really have classical backgrounds that don't didn't really you know study or didn't really get their degrees and stuff, and are just not all of us, of course. Um, but there, there's a lot of that hacker culture, and then we just kind of did it because we had a bunch of free time and it was cool. <laughs> yeah, the hacker aspect is interesting. You know, hacker culture goes back a long time, and I guess to to outlined a little bit if people aren't aware it's this idea of yeah not being properly trained and just doing stuff because you want to do it and are passionate and maybe you're not super 
principled, but you just throw something together and then see if it works. And yeah, it's, it's just like just passion project. And it's, it's interesting. I, I probably, you know, it just wasn't like a company. You just had a collective, you know, almost like an art collective, but this was like an engineering collective and everyone was working just out of passion. And as you yeah. say, there is a feeling of sort of, yeah, I, I could imagine this golden age of like, everyone is just super excited and, you know, there's all this energy and it, it's just a lot of fun. Right. Absolutely. It was just like the amount of work we did was really incredible. Like in looking back at it, like, you know, we, we put a lot of hours into this stuff unpaid, you know, just for shits and giggles. And we got a lot done. I mean, to this day, you know, the pile is used by, you know, huge, you know, AI labs and multinational organizations all the time. GPTJ is, which is, you know, a, not a direct descendant of Neo, but is a, like a side descendant of Neo is, you know, one of the best open source models of its kind. And you know more models to come potentially, um, depending on when this episode comes out. There may be new Eleuther models, um, and yeah, it was just especially these early days. You know, it was it was chaotic, and you know, no one really knew what they were doing. And but there was passion, and there was just energy, and it was fun, and it was and it was funny. You know, it was you know people. It was nice. These are just people that we liked. You liked hanging out with. You know, you had your in jokes and you had your you call your own little micro. Like to this day, you know, Luther has its own little microculture of all our in jokes and all our silliness and such. But I think that was like one of the most important things that I also really always stressed even from the early days of the beginning. Like you know, when especially when people are trying to get like we're starting to get like burnt out because it was working so hard and stuff. I, I made like very clear from day one of Luther, Luther AI has to be fun. If you're not having fun. It's this not don't do it. We're we're here to have fun. So it was never for me like, oh, I want to succeed. Oh, I have to succeed. You know, I want to I want to beat OpenAI. I want to be the best. It was like, no, this is just for the purest passion of we think this is a good project for us to work on. We think this is important work. So we can also talk about that a little bit about why we also thought this was actually important work to be doing. Um, but also just because we were having a really great time. We were just having a lot, a lot of fun. It was, yeah, some of the best fun I've had in my life. Yeah, yeah. And I, it, it goes back to these things that you said of like this hackathon thing of staying up all night and just going for, you know, many, many hours. And yes, I, I also remember that I did a lot of hackathoning and, you know, getting lost in this little thing. Like you kind of forget a lot of the hassles of life and just really get absorbed. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a great time. It's can. a great experience. And I can recommend to any like, you know, CS undergrads who might be listening, go to hackathons, mm -hmm. you know, find, find, find a group of friends or group of strangers, you know, and uh, drink the disgusting, you know, sweet energy <laughs> drinks or whatever, you know, stay up all night, eat greasy pizza, you know, ha have a good time, man. It's, yeah, I don't think it's not for everyone, obviously. You know, you have to be a certain kind of obsessive nerd to like enjoy this kind of stuff. But if you are that kind of person, it's one of the you best. Should, you should try it. You should try it. You should try it. it. You should give it a yeah. try. Give it a good give it a try. It's yeah. it's a really wonderful experience. And yeah, I really was just like the never-ending hackathon, you know. Every morning I could sit down, you know, and my all my friends would be there, you know, we'd have some, you know, funny ML memes to share, and then you could get into the project channel and start hacking. Mm. It was great. Hmm. Yeah. And so I also am wondering, 
let's say by 2021, when you released the pile, what was this size of a community? You know, you had a Discord, how many people were hanging out or, or watching on stuff roughly? Hmm. Yeah, so I, I have to try to remember back to then. Uh, again, this feels like a lifetime ago. Like I remember it fondly, but it feels like it's a lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so pre-pile, we were still quite small. Definitely less than a thousand people on the whole Discord, and most people on Discord obviously just lurk. So, but we, there was a pretty active like number of people that would like, talk every day or something. You know, we also had you know some interesting people in there. You know, Krishan sometimes would talk. You know, admin at the previous server, uh, Gwern, who's like a well-known internet figure, would often hang out around there. Um, yeah, we had we had a few interesting characters hanging around. Um, I guess probably like a few dozen, maybe 50 were like people that would like regularly chat. People actually worked on the project. It's like, so very important for like, it's very funny. Like one of the things I've definitely learned from like this experience with Luther AI and other similar stuff is I've learned a lot about community management, like how online communities work. And turns out there's actually a lot of good info about this online if you look for it. Like there are like very experienced people that have written books about stuff like this. And turns out they're actually usually right. Not all of them, obviously, but like there's a lot of advice I wish I would have had. Some of it I did have because I actually did manage another community previous to Luther I when I was like 17, 18. Um, that was like a whole different thing. Uh, and so I had a bit of experience with like moderation, like community curation and stuff. And there's like a lot of non-obvious things that a lot of mistakes you can make that can kill a community. Um, and yeah, so like in the early days, um, yeah, I think it was like, yeah, so there's, so there's the... It's the 99-1 rule, which is 90% of people will contribute absolutely nothing. 9% will like hang around and maybe chat. 1% will actually do anything. And I definitely that definitely applies to Luffy AI as well. No disrespect to any of the people that just want to lurk or just want to chat. That's also totally fine. But obviously, but all, any online project, the community, whether it's an art project or a science or an open source project or any kind of project is led by a small core of very dedicated people that have too much time on their hand. That's just how online things work. It's like, yeah, so when I was like 17, 18, I had like an online DD uh, game, like Dungeon Dragons game, which had at its peak 70 players. Um, so if for people who've ever played Dungeon Dragons, you're like, how the hell does that work? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but we kind of made it work. And um, yeah, and like, what just happens is that it always distills down to a very small core group and then this like large periphery around it, mm-hmm. which is fine. It's like one of the best, one of the important rules to know is to like, don't push the lurkers too hard. Don't push people too hard to community. Yeah, just accept it. That just accept them. Yeah. This is just how it goes. If, if new power contributors want to contribute, excellent. Support them, love them, you know, be friends, you know, make friends with them or whatever. But, um, you know, don't push it. You know, it's like, well, that's the that's the most important lesson I learned from my experience when I was like 17, 18. It's just like so so the funny thing is this like experience of having like magic happen. This is the second time this has happened to me. So this happened to me once with a DD group when I was 17, 18, um, where I just had this just amazing experience where just like all the right people just came together. We had like lots of it was like summer vacation and we had like all this free time and we had like like 10 dedicated players that played like every single day. And we just have this wonderful adventure and, you know, this cool world, magic world, blah, blah, blah. You know, nerdiest shit imaginable. But we had, damn, did we have a lot of fun. Damn, did we have a lot of fun. And, but, um, and yeah, so I, I had this experience before and uh, 
But what happens, so that group actually got apart, fell apart because of drama, unfortunately. So that fell apart rather nastily as, is, yeah. as prone to happen. You know, we're, we were kids and we were stupid and, you know, mm-hmm. things happen. I think someone, some of the players got married, actually. I don't remember. It was a weird time. <laughs> uh, it, it was a weird time. But yeah, so like, so there's this golden age of like six to 12, like nah, six to eight weeks mm-hmm. when I was like 17 which was just the most fun I've ever had in my life. And then there was just this, this horrible attempt to recapture glory that happened mm-hmm. just like over like 12 months. I was just like, everyone's just trying to recapture this thing. Like, Oh, maybe we try this. We can, we can have fun again. Maybe if you do this, we can have fun again. And that's like a very toxic thing. And something you should do is this magic. Magic just happens. And if you happens, be thankful for it, cultivate it, you know, enjoy it mm-hmm. as long as it lasts, you know, but you know, if, it, if it's gone, it's gone and mm. don't force it. You can't, there's, there's no, there's no um, protocol you can follow to create a great community or to create mm. a great project. Unfortunately, yeah, you, you can learn how to manage it and how to, yeah, yeah as you said, there's principles, yes. but it has to start. Yes. The, 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 the start Naturally. is always, always lightning. It, and you can't make yeah. lightning strike twice. Yeah. And we were very lucky with the Luther and we're really lucky that it's still going. Like, Luther has lived for so long. It's actually incredible. Like the fact that it's still around and still pretty active. It's not the same as it was when it's earlier. In a way, it's bigger, but it's mm. also different, yes. which is neither good nor bad. It's just different. You know, Luther mm. now is different than a Luther one year ago is different from Luther when it started. So that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's just different. And it's important to like accept that kind of transition uh, that uh, communities change, people change, you know, people have, you know, get jobs go to school, you know, it's, it's, things change. And uh, that's happened with Luther as well, but it's still like incredibly healthy given a project of its size and it's, you know, weird, you know, hackerish roots. It's still in a very great shape actually. And I'm very, very, very grateful for that. You know, it's only possible because of the wonderful people that are part of it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting hearing this because it, I also can relate a lot you know, you said this is true of online projects, but it's also true of just like, I think projects in general that people do in their spare time, yeah. you know, like I started with coding, uh, in some sense, or, or really, you know, got excited with like first robotics, which is like this after school things people in high school can do. And later I was in a robotics club in, in college and, and like a solar racing club, this is completely on your spare time. You know, nobody cares if you do it or not really. Uh, but it, yeah, it's, it's kind of the same dynamic of there's a few people who are just super, super into it, come in every day or whatever. And then there's people hanging around and yeah, it has this very natural vibe in a way and you yeah. just have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in addition to that, as you said, so you, you had this work, you know, ultimately you had this goal of GPT-3 and you, you had in 2021, you released GPT-NEO first, which was uh, a couple billion and GPT-J was six. This was in the middle of 2021. And so you had also this blog post of why release a large language model, right? So yeah, can you go a bit into this more kind of philosophical perspective of Elifer and, and yourself? Yeah, absolutely. 
So um, the Y release large language model is the post I should have written <laughs> when during the GPT-2 things if I was a better writer since it's compact and actually readable. Um, so this was around when GPT-J was being released. So GPT-J, basically all the credit goes to Ben Wang, who is one of our core contributors. He basically did that all by himself. Uh, absolute mad lad. He works at OpenAI now. Great guy. Um, and yeah, he was, he was like, I think it was like, 19 when he did all of that. Just what, what a guy, what a guy. Mm -hmm. um, incredibly impressive work, incredibly impressive work. Um, so GPTJ, so with, like with Neo, it was like, they were like not really better than other things that were around. They weren't really anything new. Also, they were like slightly less good than GPT-3 for various like reasons. It was like our first prototype kind of. Like we did, we saw our original Neo models, not as like actual like products, but they were more like just like, prototypes we were building for our own learning and people were really interested in them. They wanted us to like, actually the Neo models were trained in like November, December or something of the previous year. And we just didn't release them because we thought they weren't that great. And mm -hmm. we wanted to like iterate on it more, but people kept asking us, please, you know, to release them. So we eventually did and turned out people really did care about them. Surprisingly yeah. uh, for us, they were just prototypes. But, yeah. In your perspective, it's interesting. You, you actually yeah. comment on like, you didn't think people would care and you released yeah. them and you had all this like media coverage and they yeah. downloaded like a hundred thousand times or whatever. Yeah. 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 So that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. So for us, these, these original Neo models were just prototypes, but it got a lot of headwind and it's just, and suddenly we're, you know, and wired and, you know, like people are talking about us and whatever. And, uh, these models are still pretty popular. Um, they're like, it's, it's, we kind of cringe when we look back at the Neo models because there's just so many things wrong with them and that we now know how to do better. There's like lots of decisions in the architecture that we would do different. The Neo code base is cursed. It's just truly terrible. Um, we do not, do not use the GPT Neo code base. It is, it should be buried and forgotten. <laughs> you know, it was our first attempt. It was terrible. I do not use it. Never use TensorFlow. Never, just don't. <laughs> um, but, you know, back then we didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So GPT-J was the first model where we were like, wow, this is actually good. Like this is uh, the, so J, J, the name comes from Jax. So, which is kind of like a different uh, ML framework from Google than the original TensorFlow, which didn't exist when we first started the Neo project. Otherwise, we probably probably used it because Jax is really great. And so Ben created basically one of the first Jax implementations of this kind uh, mesh TensorFlow Jax, which he, uh, no, sorry, um, mesh transformer Jax or something like that. Something like that. I forgot what it was called. Sorry. Um, and he used that to train, um, GPTJ, which was a 6 billion model. So that's a pretty big jump compared to other models that existed at the time. Um, and so this is the first time we're like, well, okay, this is actually something really impressive. We're like, uh, releasing here. This is something really important. And we have been, you know, We've been discussing the ethics and the philosophy about releasing models, not releasing models. Should we work on this? Should we not work on this? You know, since the very beginning of Luther and is a common topic, um, especially in the early days. So, like in the early days, I made very clear that uh, I was like, there. you know, I, 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 several times I very much considered deleting the server and saying like, nope, we shouldn't work on this. This is a bad thing. Nuke everything. Uh, didn't ever decide to do that, obviously, but I can see counterfactual worlds where I would have decided to do so. And uh, I still stand by that, that if I ever am of the opinion, if I ever convinced that, you know, Illithra existing is like a significantly negative to the world, then I will nuke it. Um, yeah. And so 
so yeah, so this post was kind of like a distillation so of our thoughts. Um, so I don't, so, uh, okay, uh, the post only officially is my stance. I, I think most people of Luther AI would also endorse the stance written by this post, but let's just say it's my opinion. And in my opinion, so I have several ways to think about how danger happens in the world and how these models can cause harm. And these are a bit idiosyncratic, so not everyone agrees with my threat models here of situation. And this, po this post was meant to kind of just put these threat models down and writing so people can you know, critique them directly or say like where they disagree with me or not. Because often people would like disagree with me or say, oh, you shouldn't release, you shouldn't be working on this, but it was hard to nail down where we actually disagree about why it shouldn't be released or it should be released. And so my thinking about why it is important to be released comes down to the fact that I think that it's very likely that future systems that are very powerful, whether you want to call them AGI or whatever, it's just semantics, doesn't matter. At some point, people will build very powerful systems that are capable of doing very powerful things in the world. And we already mentioned this a little bit at the beginning about alignment is that I expect that actually getting a very powerful system to do what you do and not cause harm is actually very difficult. You know, there is, if you think about all possible states the universe could be in, the number of states which include happy humans who are not dead is very small. So you have to be very careful that you hit that target. And as you gain access to more and more power, you know, more and more powerful systems that can optimize the world in more and more powerful ways, it's harder and harder to think, you know, what do humans even want? It's the classic genie problem, you know. As the story goes, genie grants you three wishes, and the third wish is always to undo the first two. But we might not get the third wish if the first one, you know, removes all oxygen from the, unit, from the atmosphere or whatever. And this is because once you get to these super whatever advanced things, you simply you can't understand them and you can't predict necessarily what they'll do. And so it's not so much that they're evil as, you know, they may not do what humans want to do. And that's the alignment thing of get AI to do what you want. Exactly. So that's precisely the thing is that there's a great book, which has a wonderful mm -hmm. title, which is the AI doesn't hate you. So there's mm -hmm. this misunderstanding where people hear AI alignment or AI safety, and they think like, oh, there's like evil terminators that suddenly wake up and become conscious and rebel against their masters. You know, that's nonsense. That's obviously, that's not what I'm worried about. This is well, not the worried. matrix. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the matrix. It's not terminator. Those are all fictional. Those, those mm -hmm. are not actually how the real world works. Mm -hmm. But what is a real concern? So my real concern is not malicious actors per se. There are potential threats for malicious actors that are serious and should be considered. But what I'm most worried about is far closer to accidents. Like a classic example, like a, a good metaphor is maybe that when humans want to build a hydroelectric dam and there is an ant colony in the valley they want to flood. Well, you know, the, the humans don't hate the ants. You know, we're, we're not like maliciously trying to harm or torture the ants. We, we do, we're not rebelling against the ants. They're just in the way and they're going to drown. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, 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 there's, there's no malintent here. If you have an AI and you gave it a goal to, you know, I don't know, maximize shock, stockholder value or something. And so it decides to build mega factories that produce very valuable products. And, you know, that requires them to harvest all resources on planet Earth and, you know, remove oxygen from the from the atmosphere to use as fuel or whatever then humans are going to get crushed. And mm -hmm. a very important failure mode to talk about here is that like very often what, how these discussions uh, go in circles is that, you know, alignment person proposes, okay, a lot, we don't know what these systems are going to do. They might do X. And then the other person fixates on the X on the example 
instead of the general class of argument, they say, well, I don't think X would happen. We could just do a Y to prevent that. And like, yeah, okay, sure. You can, you can find it. You can nitpick every individual example. So like, will AI actually remove the oxygen from the atmosphere? I don't know, but mm. it's going to do something. You know, if you have a very yeah. powerful system that can, is smarter than a human by construction, and we won't be able to predict what it will do. And if we don't understand it, if we don't have like very good reasons to believe that we understand how these systems work or what they will do, we should expect them to be capable, you know, come up with things we would never have thought of. And mm. we can't predict how those might affect us. And I think, as I said, the number of states of the universe in which there are happy humans is a very, 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 very small subset of all possible states. And this also goes back to your GPT-2 example of, you know, yes, you could say, oh, well, just people will, you know, not who come up to the internet or whatever. But if anyone potentially can play with or, you know, do things, then again, by accident, someone will be like, oh, just make me money on the stock market. And then something yeah. happens. Yeah. I mean, even that is like, um, it's like, yeah, it's like the, cl- the constant thing that like Eliezer Rakowski talks about. Is basically, we won't even die with that much dignity. And I agree with him. It's like, I, I think it was in his interview with Sam Harris, where Sam, Harris, Sam said something like, well, you know, we assume that no human, you know, no one would actually be so stupid to hook their AI up to the internet. And Eliezer just laughs. And that is exactly what has happened, for example, with WebGPT from OpenAI. Good job, OpenAI. I sure am happy that you guys are so careful by just Hooking up the system to the internet. Great job. Really, really happy about how people are being responsible with these systems. And the thing is, you could always construct an argument that justifies this. You could say it's like in the paper uh, with the WebGPT, they basically say, well, you know, we looked at the system really hard and we think it's not dangerous. That's like their whole justification for hooking up the internet. And like, they're probably right. Like, I don't think WebGPT is going to like do anything. But it's the precedent thing. And it's not just the precedent thing. It's just like the, that kind of thinking. Um, Eliezer calls it security mindset versus ordinary paranoia. I think those words come from Bruce Schneier. So this is, so we're back to hackers. So Bruce Schneier is like a famous hacker, you know, like security expert is a great essay about security mindset versus ordinary paranoia. And I think this is like a really good concept to be familiar with. And so he gives the following example. So, so, I, so basically the idea is, is that like security mindset is like a, is, is what a good hacker, a good security professional would have is, the, and then there's ordinary paranoia, which is like, you know, the, the normal kind of paranoia, the normal kind of security that most people have. So the example it gives in the essay is, uh, when he was a kid, he got an ant farm and with the ant farm, he got like a little, uh, thing with like a little card that he could send like some address with his address written on it. And they would send him back a bunch of ants. So a normal person sees this and says, oh, cool, I can get ants for my ant farm. So with the security mindset th- thinks, oh, cool, I can send ants to anyone I want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, yeah. yeah, of course, it's a bit of a funny example, but I think this points to actually something very important. Um, and, you know, we're, this, this, this is already this interview's already gone on so many tangents. I apologize. So we're not going to go too deep into it. But um, this idea Ordinary paranoia is about is often about this like, OK, um, you, you have in your head an idea of how an attacker might do something like, uh, like a better example might be, you know, OK, um, the hacker might read the password off the hard drive and then the ordinary paranoia would be like, OK, well, I'll encrypt the hard drive or, or something. And 
but then, you know, what if the hacker uses the software that reads the, you know, the encrypted hard drive to read the password? Well, then it doesn't work. And then you're like, okay, but I'll use a second authentication mechanism or something. So you like add like additional things. Well, security mindset would be more like, okay, can we find a way to never store the password in the first place? Like only store a hash or only store a, you know, it's like instead of adding a wall of defense, you circumvent the problem entirely. You just, you restructure the entire question so that that problem just doesn't even exist construction in an ideal case and this is a very common failure mode with discussion about agi is that like uh alignment person proposes an example of how an ai could do something bad but says very clearly but this is it could come up with something else other person said comes up with a counter proposal to that specific proposal but that's not good enough because the other because the an actual agi will do something even smarter Something mm-hmm. so smart that we could never predict what it will do or never be able to prepare for that. Yeah. So we have to not even allow th- this kind of thing to happen in the first place. It, it should never get the chance. There should never, ever be a case where there is a malicious AGI trying to break out of a box or to like, or to like manipulate people. That should just never, ever happen. Just assume point, it can happen. Yeah, and then, yeah exactly. Exactly. Just assume it can do that. Because if we're ever in a case where it actually does happen, you know, OpenAI scales up GPT-5 to, you know, a quadrillion parameters or whatever, and they hook it up to the Bing API or whatever, and suddenly, you know, uh, all power in the world goes off and, you know, I don't know, nanobots start flying through here or whatever, you know, who knows what it will, what would happen. I don't know if that would happen, but like, if we're ever in this case where we have super powerful systems like this, that are not properly aligned, where we not don't have really strong reasons to believe that they will do what we want to do. We've already, we've basically already lost, in my opinion. Like, like it's just a matter of time until someone's. Even if OpenAI does a great job, you know, maybe they are like super careful, or they like you know get lucky or something. Some other asshole, you know, at some other company is going to copy the code or come up with the same idea and just mm-hmm. or some hedge fund or something or or you know some like government actor or something, and we're going to be screwed. And you don't even have to believe that we'll have superhuman AGI, whatever. It's you, you need to be open to entertaining the idea of the situation. And then, yeah, then you care about in this context. So going back, um, you know, this is the general idea of AI alignment and, and why many people are passionate about it. So how does that relate to um, releasing the large language model? Yeah, exactly. So we basically take very seriously um, what are called short timelines. Is that AGI very powerful, superhuman? You know, AGI is going to come soon, like very soon. And that's a whole can of worms. You know, we can unpack about like why I believe that and such. Um, and you could disagree with me there, or whatever. But like, even like the skeptic, like a, a very funny thing I found is that people that say that they don't think AI is coming soon, often if you ask them, what does I mean for timelines? They say like, oh, 40 years. 40 years is not a long time. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, if in 40, if there's an ast- if there are aliens coming to visit Earth in 40 years, you got like a message like, hey, we're aliens. We're coming in 40 years, by the way. See you then. Wouldn't you freak out a little bit? That like, uh, that's like really important. We should probably prepare now and not like uh, 40 years out. Let's wait 30 years before we worry about that. <laughs> so, you know, it's it, it's like, it, like if you genuinely believe AGI is like impossible or like 10,000 years out, all right, fine. But like, I have not heard anyone make a good case for either of those. 
um, that I find convincing. So like, so like, you know, the exact timelines I think don't matter. Like whether it's five years out, 20 years out, 40 years out, none of that's really that long of a time. And we don't know how hard alignment is. Like alignment, you know, there's like some chance that alignment turns out to be super easy. I highly doubt that. But, you know, maybe we're just missing something super obvious and we're just like, oh, we're idiots. Of course, the solution to all of morality and um, physics and science and math is, is just this. Wow, it's so simple. Why didn't we think of that sooner? Mm-hmm. Probably not, but you never know. Yeah, maybe um, it's not about free laws. That's it. <laughs> it's definitely not that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but definitely, definitely not that. Definitely but, you, know, not. You, you never know. You never know, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but because we don't know how, how long it is, it's really important to get as much alignment work in as basically we have time. So like uh, Nick Bostrom, I think, has described alignment as kind of philosophy with a deadline. Uh, I don't know if it's purely philosophy. There's also a lot of engineering with the deadline. But there is a deadline. Is that in a way, if we just continue building larger and larger systems and we just don't think about aligning them or about controlling them or something, uh, I just think we will not make it. And that will just be it. You know, then mm. like humans aren't the center of the universe. We're not special. You know, there's no God or Lord of the Matrix looking out for us, probably. And that will like make everything go okay. Nature mm. can just kill you. You know, like yeah, many yeah. species have gone extinct. It's yeah. not the first time this would have happened or anything. I mean it's the first yeah. time it happened in this style, but you know. It's there's there's nothing like I, I feel like a lot of this this does happen and I'm not I'm not sub, I'm not subtweeting anyone in particular here but there is sometimes a thing where like people working on AI kind of have this implicit like almost kind of like feeling that they're immortal like oh it'll turn out fine like all previous technology was good so this will be good too and I think that's mm-hmm. true like I think these people who say like oh electricity was bad for some reason are just wrong just like completely factually wrong or people who you know want to return to like an earlier time no like you never want to live at an earlier time than you currently live. Like, mm-hmm. like the human welfare, not everywhere, not equally, not monotonically, has increased over the last, you know, since the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. And I, I stand by that, absolutely. I think but it's I'll, overwhelming. I think also, yeah, there's people who strongly are in a stance of, you know, AGI is not necessarily something they believe will happen or at least won't happen in the next couple of decades. And so they, they, their statement is we should care about stuff going on now, you know? Yeah. And I think those people are wrong, but they're not capital wrong. Yes, like that's a reasonable, that's a reasonable position to hold. I can understand the position. I think they are wrong for, for like, like I think the form, the, the shape of their statement is correct, but I disagree on the values of the variables. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, Depending on your assumptions yeah. and arguing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. So like, for example, if Moore's law doesn't, didn't exist and like computers exist, uh, you know, improved a linear amount every year, for example, then I think AJ would be far out and we probably would have much more time and I would probably be working on some very different problem. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe not. I don't know. You know, I kind of like working on this, but, you know, I, I would feel less obligated to work on this because I would probably yeah. have more time. And then I could totally understand his arguments. And I kind of don't want to get into the whole timeline discussion right now, but I basically have not found any arguments that I find convincing that give me like a high enough percentage chance to dismiss small timeline, short timelines that I could take. Like even if you think there's only a 5% chance that AGI comes in the next five years, 
that's still a really high chance. One in mm-hmm. 20. Like that's still a one in 20 chance that aliens arrive in the next five years. Would you not like prepare for that and be like, wow, this is kind of like really important. Even if it doesn't happen, it's probably still something you should be worrying about. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people are very miscalibrated about these kinds of things. It's just what I sometimes say is that in this, in this, in this line of work, you have to be comfortable multiplying small probabilities by very high outcomes. Yes. And that's not something that's very natural for humans to do. It feels weird. Uh, like I also often don't feel this. Like I know in my head, like, Oh, humans could go extinct. But I don't really feel that like emotionally. It's like hard. You know, you can visualize like, you know, Oh, my friend died. Like that's like a t- terrible tragedy. Like, you know, I can, mm. I can, I can feel that. And then, you know, okay, two friends died. Like, okay, well, that's, that's even worse, obviously. But, like, all my friends die. And everyone mm. else, too. And everyone forever dies. Like, my brain can't wrap its head around yeah, it. Yeah. Like, I, 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 how, how should I? So you just have to kind of, like, shut up and multiply. And yeah, just be like, you, have to, you have to, like, try to imagine and look yeah. at the numbers and be like, and this is interesting to me because I often reflect on, climate change where there's a hundred percent probability that in three decades or four decades, it's going to have major cut of like, like it's going to be ridiculous, like world war two scale effects all over the globe. And we just, that's going to happen. But, uh, we just don't think about it mostly. Well, I'm actually a lot more optimistic about climate change because solar power has become exponentially cheaper. There's a Moore's law of solar happening right now and exponentials mm. are magic. So I'm actually pretty optimistic about climate change personally. Well, um, anyway, not that, is. not that people won't get harmed. It's going to be a massive shit show. Yeah. But, but not, know, not end of the world. Shit show. Not yeah. end of the world. Like I think climate yeah. change is incredibly serious and I'm glad that people are starting to take it seriously, but I don't expect it to literally kill everyone. On yeah, planet. yeah. It's not existential. <laughs> it's not yeah, existential. It's yeah. That doesn't mean it's not a worthy cause. Does not mean it's not a worthy cause. It is a worthy thing to be thinking about and a worthy mm. thing to be working on. And I'm super happy to see how solar, for example, has become just so much cheaper over the last mm. and batteries as well. Just incredible stuff. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. To, 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 to ground this all again. I'm sorry. I keep going on tangents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we should go back. Um, why release a model? Why release a model uh, is because, as I said, I have, a, I have an uncertainty of when models will run, when, when AGI will run. I expect it to be soon. I don't know how, a, how hard AGI is. I don't think I can slow down AGI. So I was like, mm-hmm. so like, if you think, okay, we have a limited amount of time to solve a very hard problem. We don't know how hard this problem is. There's two things you can do. Try to give us more time. That's very hard because we have basically, you know, all, you know, for profit, you know, and, and for cita- you know, for-profit uh, corporations pushing AGI as hard as possible and for, for citation-driven academics pushing AGI as hard as possible. It's just this huge coordination clusterfuck. Like, people suddenly say, like... Yeah, you can't yeah. control the field. The field no, is it, it's just, no, it's impossible. And yeah. I think... And it probably would be actually actively harmful, in my opinion, to even try to do that. I think that would just backfire. So I do not, I do not endorse ideas of like regulating AI or like for outlawing like research or something. I don't think that's, that's, that's a correct way. I think they'll have, that'll, that'll backfire if you try that. So like, so I don't think, I think that's a no go. So by the way, some people disagree with me on that. Smart people disagree with me on that. There's some people who think we should work on policy or should work on like regulation or something. I think that's, that's doomed. I think that's, that will not work. We should not do that, but others disagree with me. So, you know, and I, those are reasonable people who I respect. So I can see, you know, I think they're wrong, but maybe they're right. 
So what I see is instead is that what we should do, what we, what we should do, or the best thing I can do is accelerate alignment research. And there, and I believe somewhat, you know, this, this has become more of a mainstream belief, but it wasn't, for example, a year or two ago that these models that we have nowadays very much do tell us things, important things that will be relevant to future AGI. Uh, this is a bit controversial. Some people say, like for some people argue we shouldn't work on alignment because we don't know what an AGI will look like. So any work we do nowadays will have no impact. It will yeah. be out of date. I don't think that is true. I think it's probably true for most things we do, but not for all things that we do. I think a lot of the work we can do now has a chance of being actually important. Like I give it like a 20% chance that the first like widely accepted to be an AGI system is going to be some variant of a neural network, you know, written in like PyTorch or something running on GPUs. And mm. I, I'm like, I have like reasons to believe that obviously it's not just because I, I think, you know, just because I like saying that I actually think neural networks are actually, I think a lot of people misunderstand what neural networks are. I think neural networks are actually something far more fundamental than people realize. I think neural networks in a sense were inevitable. Like people sometimes say, oh, neural networks are just, they're just the latest algorithm. You know, anyone could, you know, some other algorithm will come. And that's possible. That's, that's definitely possible. I'm not dismissing that possibility. But I think in a, there is actually a deep way in which neural networks and like stochastic gradient descent is inevitable because in a sense, it is a first order approximation of Bayesian updating. Uh, but that's like a whole other technical yeah, rabbit hole. Yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Basically, you assume or your belief is we might get AGI and we could, in the meantime, with our very powerful models, um, experiment and, and get yes. some experience. And this is not, yeah, yes. OpenAI is doing this as well. Exactly. They have research. Yeah. And uh, many, yeah, there are research groups that are, are doing this and there's publications yeah. and so on. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I don't think it will literally be GPT-5 or something like that. Not literally, uh, but I think there are a lot of principles of experiments we can do with these models, especially we can do with them before they're dangerous. Yeah. So I'm pretty confident that GPT-3, no matter what you do with GPT-3, you can't use it to destroy the world. Mm. But but I'm not so certain about GPT-4, 5, or 6. Like if, if, if I had a magic USB drive that had US, you know, GPT-25 on it, I would not release it. I would probably mm. burn it. Because like God knows what that thing might be capable of. Yeah, whatever GPT twenty five is. But to your point, there is a something that is similar in that GPT three now. You know, it used to be reinforcement learning agents could do things you don't expect because you know they're just tweaking reward and whatever. But now GPT three also you can't expect. You give it like an input, you don't really know its output. We've seen it produce you know racist, biased, etc. So in that sense, it, there is a present time alignment problem that matters if you're deploying these models. So all these things aside, you just want alignment to happen. And yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So what we think is like one of the things that we were uniquely capable of doing and to help is A, bring attention to these fields and our beliefs about why these things are important and like demonstrate why we think these things are important. So like nowadays the alignment community has become like way more open to the idea that these transformers are actually really important and you can do like viewable alignment research. So for example, uh, Buck Schlageris, you know, the guy who convinced me not to release GPT-2 has now founded an organization called Redwood Research, which does alignment research and they're also using GPTJ for in their research. 
So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, weird how, weird how things happen, right? Um, so our goal is that basically that the way these models are built, of course, is that there's this large upfront cost in training them, but actually working with them is much cheaper. And mm-hmm. it's still not cheap, but, you know, it's much easier. So in a way, we could swallow a large initial capital cost, a large initial engineering cost to, make, to lower the barrier of entry for other, for other you know, researchers and alignment researchers to be able to experiment with these models and to do work with these models. Because mm-hmm. there just was not access, there was no access to these kinds of large models for alignment researchers. You know, we once did like an informal survey of people on the alignment forum, which is like a website where a lot of people post alignment work. And we estimated that like, I think 90% of people did not have access to, even to GPT-3. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that these people necessarily wanted GPT-3, you know, maybe they were working on very different things, but... Um, we thought it was very important to make it easier to do this kind of work. So for example, I think that, for example, interpretability works, like the kind of work that like Chrysola's group at Anthropic does is incredibly interesting and actually promising. I, you know, I'm not sure it's going to like solve the alignment problem. I think it's really promising and I Mm. want more of it to happen. Um, and so this was a way for us to help make this possible for more Mm -hmm. actors, for more researchers, academics to do this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because in 2021, uh, I think around August, you know, one of the things that made waves and was one of the big events of the year was uh, Stanford announced like the Center on Research and Foundation Models. And their whole, a big part of it is like they think we'll have downstream models, like these, these models will power a lot of stuff and we need to make sure that the foundation, so to speak, of things like GP3 is solid. And, you know, it could lead to bad things if we don't understand them and control them. So in general, regardless of whether you think it's AGI or not AGI, it is true that I think the community in general agrees that what we have today already can do harm and we need to figure out how to make it not do harm. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot more nuanced than that, but I agree the situation is much better than it is. Yeah. I still have a lot of disagreements with people in these areas of AI ethics about like what to prioritize, about what we should be researching or like how what methods are promising or not. But that's just healthy academic discourse. So like, I, I don't I disrespect these people necessarily. I would disrespect some of them, <laughs> as any good academic rivalry should. Yeah. Uh, but uh, not not the Stanford people, to be clear. Other people. Yes, yes. Um, but, but yeah, it's a trend that's definitely been interesting. Yes, yeah, it's, it's been a trend. I think it's probably positive. Um, unfortunately, also you know, gotten a lot more interest in people building larger models, of course, uh, and getting more funding for that kind of work and such. But that was inevitable, I guess. You know, yeah. as I said I don't think trying to slow down the field is in any way a feasible or or a, a thing I would advise doing. What I would advise doing is. So what I'm doing is I'm lowering the cost to get started doing a kind of alignment work that I think is promising. That is my goal with releasing these kinds of models. I I think that large models allow you to do certain kinds of research that is very, very hard to do otherwise or very, very expensive. That's only accessible to large for-profit corporations who probably shouldn't be trusting necessarily to do this kind of work. That doesn't necessarily apply to any, everyone, you know, Anthropic's doing a lot of nice work, you know, also as much as I disagree with many of the things OpenAI does, they've also done a lot of really nice, really good security work. So, 
you know, it's, it's kind of like, I, I was saying this to a friend the other day, it's kind of cruel that we pick on open AI so much. Cause I do pick on open AI a lot. Cause I mm. think a lot of their policies, like with the web G- GPT stuff is just, I just very bad. It's very, 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 very bad. Uh, I will, I will, I will avoid using stronger language. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're still like one of the most responsible actors in the field by far. Like, OpenAI, I have met, I've met a lot of OpenAI people, you know, I, I, I've had dinner with OpenAI people and stuff. And they're all lovely, wonderful people. They really want to make the world a better place. Like, as far, like I have no reason to, to doubt that. I think they're, they're very thoughtful, very smart people. They're really trying to, you know, make the world a better place and to do great work. But, and, and then, so there's a saying in the, in, you know, the rationalist AI language series that nature doesn't grade on a curve. Is that being the best doesn't mean you're good enough. Because mm-hmm. at some point, we don't know when, nature is going to give us a test. We're going to be tested whether we have solved alignment. And whether we succeed or not doesn't matter if you know, you're better than Google and Microsoft and whoever else, which I think OpenAI is. I think OpenAI is a very responsible actor, all things considered. And if this was just another industrial technology, I would be super happy with opening it. I'd be like, wow, look how in- incredibly above average this, this for-profit corporation is. This is fucking great. But your perspective all- is yeah. you need to be super responsible. Yes, exactly. Ex- like yeah. absurdly irresponsible. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. That's that. And, and that, and it's kind of cruel to open AI is that because they are really doing a good job, but they're not doing a super good job. It's all you, you, it's unreasonable expectations, but in your, your perspective, unreasonable is the right thing to strive toward. Unreasonable yes. respect to what is the common practice. Yeah, uh, exactly. And that's super unfortunate. Like I totally admit that is unfortunate and stupid. And I also don't live up to these standards all the time, obviously. Um, yeah, it turns out the test is really hard. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Elifera AI, I think, and this is something that maybe a lot of people don't realize, you know, they know Elifera AI is, is working at GPT-3 and, you know, making it so more people can have access to these things. But I, I found it interesting to learn that this was part of the sort of philosophy and motivation. Uh, so I think it's it was good to go over that and just to come back to the present. Now it's 2022. Uh, Elfira is, is a whole different beast, as you said. There's branches of working on AlphaFold and art. Uh, but um, I guess we're a lot of us are still excited to see <laughs> the next big model. Uh, so and yeah. I assume that's still an ongoing kind of quest that you're yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, so that is ongoing. So we've moved from our Neo code base to our newer Neo X, which works on GPUs. So we had we got a very um, very generous sponsorship from the cloud company CoreWeave to give us access to a lot of GPUs. We've been working there for like a year now to get a cluster built to train larger models. And depending on when this comes out, it's quite likely that our next model might already be out. Uh, our first Neo X model, which is going to be even bigger than J. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, uh, I mean, our one DB is open. Uh, if anyone wants to see our ongoing projects, we don't. We, so we have a strict policy of never uh, giving promises or timelines. So I have I have no promises when this mo- or if these models will be released. But some people at Eleuthera uh, may or may not have been working on a twenty B <laughs> model and may or may not be releasing it soon if it works. 
It might so, happen. Is it all might you're at some point in time. <laughs> it is possible. I could imagine it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's a possibility. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I guess we should mention, um, as you said, Alpha AI is a community. And you go to your website, you know, just Google Alpha. We'll, we'll include a spelling in the podcast <laughs> description. I'm sure not everyone knows it. But yeah, you go to a website. There's, I think, a Discord link. You can just, if you think this is interesting, or even if you want to check out the community and yeah. see what it's all about, you know, I think you would say that people can feel free to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Just say a few words about that. So it's all on Discord. Our website is kind of barren, but uh, I mean, we put some blog posts and our papers up there and stuff. But yeah, it's all on the Discord. So uh, if you want to be a part of the community, absolutely, you're everyone welcome. As long as you're not an asshole, obviously. Uh, it's a really, really great place for very high IQ discussions and memes. <laughs> um, it's worth mentioning that, you know, as I said, Eleutheriae is different than it was in the original days. You know, we don't have the 24-7, you know, uh, hackathon feeling mm-hmm. as much anymore. It's I would describe it as calmer, which has benefits and downsides. Like um, we are very much bottlenecked by manpower and project managers in particular. So like a thing that happens every so often, someone pops in and they're like, "Hey, I'm a developer. Uh, how can I help?" And we're like, uh, "Not. We don't really have anyone to manage you. So like, if you want to do something, you know, if you want to like do an experiment, or if we can just like give you a mm-hmm. three sentence description of something that we think is worth doing, and you can just." Go and do that. Yeah, absolutely. But we need currently, we're, we're trying to improve this, but it's tough because, you know, we don't want it to be a job, really. Yeah, but um, you need, it's, it's, it's a team. Yeah. And teams yeah. are take work. Yeah. And actually, in fact, I, I did this of like, well, I think in your one year retrospective post, which is a lot of fun, I was like, you know, I'll check this out. This looks interesting. And I jumped on and, and I think I did say, like, okay, what should I do? And, I just said, oh, yeah, this is a fun thing I could try to do. And then uh, so I talked to, you know, a guy who was kind of in this general area. And I said, well, I'll try to do it. Then I never got around to doing it. (laughs) But this is is how you can expect things to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we don't take that at all personally. We, As I said, like before, we don't push people to things. Like, we don't take it personally if you come in and then never do anything that's totally fine if you want to do something if you want to be part of the community if you want to be a core member you know get things done that's also awesome obviously you know you can also just come in and check out our art bot we have a very cool art generating bot you can play with you know if you just want to do that or we just want to post weird ai memes and geese then absolutely (laughs) yes it's and I don't know. I, I believe, as you said, there's a lot of like people just hanging out. So it's it's just if even if you're yeah. just interested in AI, you yeah. know that is a place to talk about AI. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, one thing worth mentioning maybe uh, is just unlike other communities, AI communities and such, we very specifically are not geared towards beginners. So like that's that was a very uh, conscious decision. Is that we frown upon asking like very beginner questions or like asking for help with like you know doing you know programming or stuff like that. Um, it's also very explicitly not for like casual hangouts. Like you know don't come in here and ask people to play World of Warcraft with you or something. Like that's not the. It's not like if you want to do that. That's like all those things are totally fine. We just ask you to do them somewhere else. Like, yes. This is a, this is a, uh, this is a community for professionals. If you're a beginner and you want to lurk and learn, excellent. But, you know, don't ask us to help you with your homework or, or you know, don't, you know, 
you know, don't just ask for debugging help. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's like a complicated problem or something. It's like a cool problem you're working. You're right, implementing some right. new transformer or some paper or something. Absolutely, we'd love to help. But mm. you know, if it's like you know, you're, you're implementing your first MNIST and you know mm-hmm. you can't get Python to start, like you know, we're, yeah. we're just not the place for that. Right, right, right. Yeah, but if if you're you know, it doesn't matter if you're academic. I would assume if you're just a hacker like yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The research channel is one of the best places to get your ML news from my experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. So I think LFR is, uh, is definitely interesting. It's pretty unique. Uh, so if nothing else, uh, we'll, we'll have links uh, and you can just take a look if you're curious. And yeah, just to cap things off a little bit, it's, it's been really interesting. Uh, could you just share a little bit about yourself, you know, what, what is your life outside of Elifer and AI, uh, whether you find interesting or, or just do for fun. What is life outside of work? Nah, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) yeah, no, it's, um, so recently I have been starting a new project. Um, I can't say too much about it now, very soon. Um, you know, alignment related, obviously, uh, that I'll be talking about soon. So that's been consuming a lot of my work hours, a lot of my time in that regard. I, yeah, what do, in my free time, you know, as, a, as you may have guessed, I'm a big D&D nerd. Don't get nearly as much time to play as I used to. If I, if I, have, uh, he, I We were giving advice to, to undergrads earlier. He's a big, good piece of advice. If you're an undergrad, find other undergrads and play D&D. It's a great way to make friends. You'll never have an easier You will time never, yeah. It. This is the best time. You're going to make great friends. It's great for teaching your like social skills and like talking, like public speaking. It's great. Play D&D. Everyone should play more D&D. It's, one of, it's like the best thing in the world. It's just excellent. Excellent, excellent activity. Um, yeah, big fan of that. You know, I'm also, you know, just avid reader, like obsessive reader. I, you know, I read like hours and hours of just like weird niche blogs every day. It's mm-hmm. less wrong, lots of alignment form, lots of just like weird, bizarre things that I just enjoy you know, math, science, just, yeah, I uh, just really love all that kind of stuff. I used to write, uh, don't really anymore. I, I used to write like weird fiction and stuff. I don't really do anymore. I don't really have the time, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so yeah, most of my time nowadays is just kind of like, uh, yeah, just, you know, working on my various projects, reading lots and lots of blogs. I sometimes joke that the hierarchy is like, you know, lowest quality media is like, you know, like, you know, it's like mainstream press release. Then better, better than that, it's like a pop side book. You know, like even better than that, it's like a paper. And even better than that, the true crowning intellectual gem of humankind is poorly formatted WordPress.com blogs from weird people with anime profile pictures you've never heard about. That's that's where you find the truly <laughs> best writing. <laughs> the most insightful <laughs> ideas. Yes. yes. Are, in like, like personal blog posts by individuals. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like if you have never read like a Gwern post, like you are missing out, man. Like if anyone has never read Gwern posts, it's just interesting. Stuff. You know, it's, it's so just good. A particular genre of that. Yeah. You do have to have a certain kind of obsessive, you know, like willingness to read a lot and stuff. Uh, 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 like what else have I been reading recently? I've been reading Slime Mold, Time Mold, excellent blog. They have a really great, you know, like book length treatment where they argue that the current theory of obesity is wrong. And it's actually, and that it's not because of the food, it's because of environmental contaminants, mm. actually. So I have like a really, that, that was really interesting stuff. I, I love like these like deep dives and topics I never knew I would care about. Um, like, yeah, when I, like recreationally. I also love reading 
very certain kinds of math and philosophy, especially philosophy, only very specific kinds. I think most academic philosophy is bullshit, but I've been very much enjoying Hands in Cities, which is the blog by, oh God, I forgot his name now. Oh, it's embarrassing. I forgot the name of the author. Very sorry to the author. He, uh, he writes really just excellent posts about like philosophy and AI and stuff, just truly amazing stuff. So I just want to shout out those as like blogs I've been reading. And of course, lesswrong.com, which is like a community yes. blog for like lots of people blog. Mm -hmm. Also highly, highly recommended. Awesome. Yeah. I've engaged in some of these and it's definitely fun. Uh, and yeah, I also wish I could write more of these sorts of posts, but uh, it's always fun to read others as well. So yeah, I think that's, that's a good note to finish on. Again, check out the description for links to Elifer and uh, some of these things we've discussed. And thank you, Connor, for joining the episode and having this fun interview. Yeah, thanks. I had a lot of fun. Alrighty. And uh, once again, this is the Gradient Podcast. Check out thegradient.pub, where we have a bunch of articles about AI and machine learning by people from the community. If you enjoyed the interview, you know, you can do all the usual stuff of sharing and reviewing and tweeting and, I don't know, redditing, whatever you want to do. Uh, share it with people who might enjoy it. Otherwise, thank you for listening and, you know, check out our future interviews.